In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and you direct, O Lord, all our actions by thy holy inspirations and carry them on by thy gracious assistance, sort of repair work of ours. May begin from thee and by thee be happened through Christ our Lord. Amen. Mary, seat of wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, so this conference is on intellectual pride, which from the outset we have to say that absolutely everybody other than Our Lady and a few saints suffer from it to some degree or another and in various ways. So we all suffer from this. It's part of um, uh, original sin. And uh, part of it also is just connected to the fact that when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they were willing to rely on their own judgment about the matter more than they were the word of God, which is kind of intellectually puts themselves above it to stand in judgment of it. Uh, first, we need to define pride, and then we can talk about how intellectual pride applies to it. So, uh, we know what the definition of humility is. Humility is defined as a willingness to lead a life in accordance with the truth. So pride is the opposite of that. It's the unwillingness to lead a life in accord with the truth. There's an unwillingness that's there. In intellectual pride, one is more interested in one's own judgment of the matter than conforming his mind to reality. He's really more interested in what he thinks than what the actual reality is or what even other people think, but just what he thinks. Second, judging oneself greater than one is is another definition of, of pride because the humility is not judging oneself greater than one is, but judging oneself as one is. Whereas with, into, with pride, we tend to judge ourselves greater, so there's an excess in some way. Within, with intellectual pride, there's judging one's intellectual prowess or abilities to be greater than it is. Um, a perfect example of this is, I think I might have mentioned this in one of my other conferences, you know, a hundred and some years ago, hardly anybody went to college. Most people hardly even finished high school. So most people went to, when they went to college. But to go to grad school was not the type of thing that you just applied. I'm going to go to grad school and you applied. You just didn't do that. You actually had to be invited to, in most grad schools to actually even attend the grad school to, to get at the master's level. So out of all the people that went to college, maybe one in 20 went to get their, maybe, maybe one in 20, probably not even that, went to get their, um, their master's. Then out of that, maybe one in 10 was even invited to do their doctorate. Whereas today, you just stay in long enough and you can get it, as long as your grades are high enough, but with great inflation, it's a non-issue. The point being is, is that most people who are in college, or especially in grad school, have no business being there because they tend to think that they are brighter than they actually are, when in point in fact, they probably shouldn't even really be in college, generally speaking. Okay. So this is one of the areas that you're actually seeing, that everybody thinks that, you know, I, I, I'm college material. Well, not really. Most people aren't. Okay. Uh, this also means that one judges one's ideas to be more important or one's conclusions to be more certain uh, than uh, others. In other words, one th- tends to think that one's own ideas are more important or more true than anyone else's, etc. So there's, this esti- there's an overestimation of one's intellectual conclusions because out of the pleasure that the person gets out of thinking about his own intellectual abilities. 
That's really the, the to, to lay it out, that's what it is. So a person who overestimates their abilities and actually gets a pleasure out of thinking of certain things or making judgments tends to judge his conclusions to be more certain or to be better or more accurate or more true than other people's. And so the one of the fundamental problems with intellectual pride is a lack of recognition that we are prone as a result of original actual sin to fall into error very easily. And so the certitude regarding what we think has to be based not on our intellectual abilities, but upon two things. One, reality, and we have to conform it to reality. The second thing is how much the thing will admit of that certitude. So, you know, once in a while you'll hear people say things like, I'm absolutely convinced that Pope Benedict XVI was forced out. You know, okay, look, he might have been forced out, but on the external side of things, we don't have sufficient evidence. So all we can really say is, he might have been, he might not have been. We don't know, right? So there's, we, and so whereas, so the, in fact, the humility helps one to judge the thing as it is and not go to extremes in judging and based upon your own thinking of, I can arrive at the truth beyond what the evidence will actually provide. That's what you're seeing people do who are intellectually proud. Pride tends to make us strive for things that are beyond our state. So as I mentioned, people go to college and they really shouldn't be there. Um, they also tend to think that they're the smartest person around, or they tend to think they're smarter than other people when in point in fact, they're not. Um, the virtue of faith, so part of this is our conformity in relationship to matters of faith. Part of the, one of the clearest signs of intellectual pride is actually we adopted, we, or it's become influenced from the Protestants. Because the Protestants ended up rejecting the author, external authority, namely the magisterium, set them out themselves up as an external authority, which is basically a form of intellectual pride, really thinking that they really have the capacity and the ability to judge truth about matters that's far beyond them. Right? The matters that pertain to God are so far beyond human beings that no human being on one level has the ability to accurately judge this thing. That's why God had to establish an office of the papacy and, uh, in order to make proper judgments about this thing where he guided them and he made sure, and first he came and taught, and then he would guide them to make sure because human beings' judgment is just flawed. The Protestants, on the other hand, think, oh, well, the Holy Spirit will enlighten me directly. Well, aside from the fact that that's pride, it's, that's spiritual pride, thinking that the Holy Spirit, your relationship with him is so profound that he's just going to give you this stuff. The second component is, is that uh, obviously they're not thinking clearly, which is, again, a sign of their spiritual pride, because none of them can agree with each other, but they all think they're right. So, and they all actually agree that there's this direct enlightenment of the mind by the Holy Spirit. And so, well, if that's the case, then why are you all contradicting? I mean, there's just not even some basic elementary humility on that level. What's happened is we've adopted that in the Catholic sphere where everybody thinks that they're capable of judging what is right or wrong or true or not regarding God, the moral law, etc. when they have absolutely no philosophical or theological formation or background or foundation but they think that they're totally capable of it. And really, when you listen to these people talk about what they think is right and wrong, what they're really doing is, when you listen to them, is they're consulting their emotional states again and how they relate to these things. But that 
that attitude that somehow or another um, that I'm capable of judging these matters that pertain to the faith when, you know, when I don't have the office, I don't have an enlightenment from God, so I can't really tell. The f virtue of faith, when it's infused, St. Thomas calls it the first purification of the intellect, but faith to give assent to what the church proposes. So Christ came, he revealed, he passes that on to the church, they propose it to us with some clarification so that we actually know, and so that to submit to that requires intellectual humility. So to maintain the virtue of faith, and this is the key thing, to maintain a true virtue of faith or to deepen it or to perfect it requires perfect intellectual humility. You have to be willing to submit your intellect entirely to what the church proposes to the degree it does and exactly how it does. Intellectual pride is going to place one in a position where one is going to think that he can pass judgment on this stuff when he can't. And so the natural trajectory of intellectual pride is theological and philosophical error or heresy. That's the trajectory. The minute people become proud, this is one of the reasons why I'm very concerned about the traditionalists, because many of them are very intellectually proud they see that other people don't know the faith as well as they do, but even they don't really know it that well. And But because they know it a little bit better than these other people, they're looking down on them and judging them, and the pride is getting to the point now where you start listening to these people, and they're starting to wax theologically on stuff they know nothing about. Mm -hmm. You know, a perfect example is just the whole discussion about, um, you know, whether a heretical pope can be deposed or not. That whole discussion, you listen to anybody, nobody knows what's going on in any of that discussion. And yet they're all sitting there making, making everybody know what their opinion is, and they think they're, they've got it and nobody else does. Okay. Uh, we also saw this intellectual pride in droves before, during, and after the Second Vatican Council. Hmm. There was an attitude among many of the theologians and even some of the Paridi at the Second Vatican Council. They took it upon themselves, based on their own ideas, to want to force the direction of the council rather than submitting to God, working through the office of the papacy and proposing what should be discussed. Mm -hmm. And so you, you got that. Plus, a lot of them were um, uh, intellectually proud by virtue of the fact that, and this is another thing, the person who's intellectually proud wants to manifest and be known for his intelligence. As a result of that, you know, like for example, with Karl Rahner, they said he never had a thought that wasn't published, right? Mm -hmm. And this is something whereas he should have realized, look, you don't, not everything you think ought to be out there, right? First of all, it's not that important, neither, you're, you're not that important. <clears throat> but the point I'm drawing out is that these guys were entrenched with intellectual pride and as a result of that, they were very prone to error, and they ended up leading the church into a lot of error. Pride exalts oneself, and so the intellectually proud man thinks he can grasp things better than others. He tends to think that when others disagree with him, that they're just dumb and ignorant, and they just don't get it, when actually he might not be the one to get it. Why is that? When we're intellectually proud, when we reflect upon our ability to grasp something, we get a pleasure out of that. Okay. That pleasure we get out of that makes, it, makes what our judgment is 
about that particular matter look better than it actually is. So in the end, the person who's intellectually proud tends to get a certain delight and pleasure and tends to overestimate his judgment and conclusions, as I mentioned. That being the case, when others disagree with that, because of the pleasure we get out, that detachment comes to those particular things or the pleasures get out. The other person doesn't have it. Oh, by the way, the pleasure can also think, give him this idea that he's really clear about this stuff. I'm so, that they're really certain about this because I've got this really strong emotion or inclination of this. No, what you have is just strong emotions, not clarity. Intellectual clarity has no emotional reaction to the thing. So when he, when he does that, what happens is he looks at other people and he looks down on them as being ignorant and stupid. Now, it's possible that a particular individual might have more formation in a particular science and as a result of that, he knows when he's talking to other people, they just don't have the same kind of formation. That's not the same thing as thinking that other people don't have the same level of intelligence or what have you. Okay. Intellectual pride value, values one's own intellectual work and sees no value in other people's intellectual work. It's very interesting because when, you, when people write articles for certain things, and you try and go and give an honest assessment of it, you know, a lot of times you're like, yeah, this is pretty good. It could have, you know, obviously he didn't know about this, this, this. But the guy who wrote it is so absolutely convinced of its perfection that he can't, he's so blinded by his own intellectual pride, he can't see that actually most of the writing you see out there is mediocre. You know, one of the things that they've been drawing attention to is the fact that we don't have any great intellectual saints right now. Well, no, of course we don't because there's too much intellectual pride. A, there's not, there's no saints. But the second thing is, is that guys are overestimating their stuff and their stuff they're putting out is mediocre. Whereas the true intellectual, you see this with Socrates historically. He's kind of like the, the guy, the philosopher that exem, that's the exemplar of this is he's probably one of the most intelligent, most knowledgeable person or people around, but he's going around, he's talking to people, trying to find the truth, even in the dumbest of people, right? And so he'll just start asking them questions, and before it's over enough, he's completely deconstructed them because he's trying to get to the truth, but the person is all angry because the person thought he had it all figured out, right? But a true intellectual or somebody who doesn't has intellectual humility will find the truth and seek the truth regardless of its source, regardless of where it is, because it's the truth, ultimately. And so he doesn't really care who comes up with it. He also delights in that truth when he sees it, regardless of who comes up with it. Okay. The intellectual pride values, as I mentioned, one's own intellectual work. It is profoundly blinding to one's own faults. Uh, to the, in other words, it blinds you... Because you're, you're, because you're intellectually proud and you get a pleasure out of your own judgment, even your judgment about yourself, you tend to think you know yourself better than you actually do. And so you tend to be blind to your own faults. You also tend to be blind to the truth, obviously, because it's an appetitive attachment to your judgment, not to the truth that's driving your intellectual work or thinking. To one's, uh, one is also blind to one's own errors. You don't even see where, they're, where it's erroneous. In philosophy and theology, actually in every science of any sort, the primary aspect of gaining perfection in that science 
is synonymous with the precision with which you can judge a particular subject within that science. The more precisely you can see it and judge it, the better science you have, the better knowledge you have of the thing. And so uh, some people can kind of come to a certain kind of general knowledge, but as people become higher and higher in the study of it, you become more precise in understanding exactly how this particular thing affects that, or this causes this, or et cetera, and it only causes this under these circumstances, but not those, even though we in the past thought it was more generic, et cetera. So it's the precision that's everything. The problem with intellectual pride is it blunts the intellectual precision because the pleasure in thinking about the person's own thoughts or their own conclusions or coming to this blunts their, the acuity of their intellect. So there has to be a real true humility of recognizing I could really be an error here. And it's the recognition that you can be an error, that you're very careful to make sure that when you're making a judgment, you're not doing it greater or lesser than it is. Whereas when you're proud, you just kind of headlong into the thing and make the judgment and that's it. Okay. It creates the inability to be corrected. People are intellectually proud, you can't correct them. One who has intellectual pride does not have a deep love of the truth, but rather the manifestation of his own intellectual abilities. You see this in certain colleges where people will go and they will study. And at the college, they come to the conclusion that they have the best education around because they actually have been developed to be able to think for themselves. And that thinking for them, they think because they can think for themselves that somehow or another, um, the uh, the things from themselves somehow or another that they're they're intellectually superior to other people because they know these things and they're more intelligent than other people, etc. First, let's define a couple of things. To think for oneself means that one does not need to rely upon an authority or a source because one has already mastered the for intellectual habit. And one has already mastered the information pertaining to that science. That's what that ultimately should mean. What does this concretely mean? It means that most of the people coming out of these with, with uh, bachelor's degrees can't reason their way out of a paper bag. And they, they think they can think for themselves. You see this all the time, you know. Uh, you, you'll hear people say, you know, you believe what the Catholic Church says? Yeah, I actually do. Why don't you think for yourself? Actually, I am. I've studied this pretty extensively. <laughs> right? Why well, think for myself? No, what you're really doing is you're parroting what other people, you've heard other people say, and because it fits how you, you feel and like, therefore, you've judged that this is what you want to believe is true, and so you're thinking for yourself. That's what that means. And so this is something that is a gargantuan problem out there um, because people don't have the ability to think clearly about most things um, because they don't even have any formation. And even when they go through school, of course, especially the general lot of the colleges today are pretty bad. But what ha the other side of it is, too, is, is that when people, a lot of times when you say people, you know, think for themselves, most of the time that means... And I've, I've seen this happen over and over again, even among Catholic universities. They'll come out of there and they have bought hook, line, and sinker what they were told at the college. Well, really, if you think for yourselves, why do you accept what the, this particular people in this college say when the general lot of the theologians or philosophers don't accept that particular position? For example, 
There's a particular college. People go there. They pride themselves on being able to think for themselves. They like to, they basically, they're not really interested in the truth. They're only really interested in manifesting their ability to argue because it shows how intelligent they are. They've bought hook, line, and sinker the idea that St. Thomas didn't do any philosophy as of his own. He just parroted Aristotle. That's what they think. Okay. First, let's just analyze this on two sides of it. First of all, the reason they think that is because their philosophical formation is extremely narrow in scope. What they have received about philosophy via St. Thomas is St. Thomas's commentary on Aristotle and one of his other works or a couple of his other works. They haven't read, for example, the Summa Contra Gentiles or even the, the um, Summa Theologia where he's talking specifically about philosophical things and not, and not actually... Uh, you know, not actually making theological statements. As a result of that, they don't realize that St. Thomas had developed philosophy, especially metaphysics, far beyond Aristotle. He had actually developed the arguments for God's existence far beyond Aristotle. He had actually developed the uh, faculties of human under, uh, the faculties of the human being far beyond Aristotle and understood their interactions far beyond Aristotle, even though it's based on Aristotle. So when they say, oh, he just parents Aristotle, she just have to read Aristotle. You just bought that hook, line, and sinker, and they don't think for themselves. Okay. That being said, the problem is, and this is one of the real dangers of college, is that people can go off to college and actually think they come out and that somehow or another they're a genius afterwards. When in point, in fact, no, what it just, in fact, what happens is the more precise a person's knowledge becomes, the, there's two things that they recognize above all. One is what Plato said. Uh, which is basically the more you know, the more you know you don't know. The second thing is you also realize how prone your judgment is to being imprecise and how you have to work at it very hard to make sure you're getting it exactly as it is. And so this is something just to kind of keep in mind. So they don't have a deep love for the truth ultimately because they're not really interested in conforming their mind to reality. They're just interested in manifesting their intelligence. So what are the daughters of intellectual pride? Well, in one sense, every sin and vice is a, a sin of pride. And intellectual pride can lead to those things. But in my experience, one of the probably the most uh, observable things to intellectual pride is lack of charity for other people. That is, they tend, because of their intellectual pride, they kind of exalt themselves and stand up above everybody. And so they, they, in, their, in their minds, they're looking down on everybody intellectually. And as a result of that, they, they despise other people. And they have a hard time perfecting charity. They can very often be very good at simulating virtue to where intellectually they know this is how I behave, and so they behave that way. But they're not perfecting the virtue for the virtue's sake. To make, to, in order to obtain that. And so my experience is, is that they're very good at manifesting certain natural virtues, but when it comes to charity, it's almost completely missing. Um, even though when they do things, they, they, because of their judgment and their superior intellect in their mind, they actually think that they're doing the right thing to, for you uh, or by you, and as a result of that, they're still being charitable, when in point of fact, it's completely contrary to charity. Another one is derision. This is when people deride other people. And this is, a, this is a very easy thing to do in our current state, especially given some of the things that you hear politicians saying. You can't help it. I mean, you can't help it. If your charity is perfect, 
you'll refrain from, you know, deriding them and making fun of them, etc. Um, the same thing is also true in relationship to the certain bishops, priests, even cardinals within the church. You know, a lot of the derision that you're seeing that's starting to happen now, after people get over this period of being angry about the fact that they were misled and lied to, that the important fact they were cleaning up this problem of homosexuality, etc., in the church, once they people get past that, there's also going to go through a stage where they're going to be deriding and making fun of these people when they need to be basically praying that the church can get out of this situation. Uh, they have a certain hatred for other people, especially if there's somebody who comes along and they, they suffer a lot from envy. Now, envy is the desire to have a perfection that you see in someone else to the loss of that other person having that perfection, which is different from jealousy. Jealousy is I have a perfection and I don't want this other person to have it. So a lot of them uh, will be jealous in the sense of they, they think they've got this perfection and they don't want other people to, be sh to show them up. On the other hand, then they have the... Um, uh, they have envy where they'll see somebody has a certain kind of perfection, like an ability to preach or to lecture or whatever the case is, or even to to help like uh, people who are dying to convert them on their deathbed. It's something you'll see this among priests. Clerical envy is just off the charts, right? Because instead of like, hey, someone's dying, go get John because he's better at this than I am. Instead, they 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 make sure that John never gets to see, never gets to go to the hospital. You know, it's that kind of thing. Or they'll make sure that he never gets to preach. Or if he does preach, they restrict it or whatever. In other words, they try and do things in order to keep the perfections of others to be shown because as St. Thomas says, uh, it's, it basically is a detriment in their mind to themselves that someone else has a perfection. And so people who are intellectually proud will be very envious when other people get a certain notoriety or get known for certain things or what have you. Okay. So how do you know if you have intellectual pride? If intellectually at some point you're shown that you're wrong and it stings, it's just like pride. If the way you know you have pride is if you get humiliated and it stings, then you know you've got some work to do, right? It's the same thing with intellectual thing. If someone corrects you um, then, and it stings, then it's a sign you have intellectual pride. The person who has perfect intellectual humility, when he's corrected, he has gratitude. He's thankful that the person has shown his error so that he can get himself straightened out. Whereas the person with intellectual pride just gets mad because of the fact that they look bad. So again, it's, the issue isn't the truth. It's not a matter of being committed to the truth for these people. It's a matter of what, uh, how do I look and what is, you know, I want other people to think I'm as intelligent as I think I am. Okay. How to develop the intellectual humility. Um, it's very easy. Be willing to accept intellectual correction at any time when the person correcting you is correct. Now, that doesn't mean that if somebody comes up and says, Father, you know, because I get this from time to time, even in my own line of work, people will email me, like this one woman's been emailing me over and over again, this section from Scripture about people who lead other people astray because she thinks I'm leading people astray. So, you know, and, and okay, Maybe if she, if she was willing to point out and precise to show where I was doing that, I would be willing to correct it. In fact, just recently, a priest in Rome shot me an email and just said, oh, by the way, I, 
What you said here is only partially true because we know historically that in some places X was the case. And we realized, yeah, he's right. So we got to post that, right? So this is one of those things that um, you have to be willing to take the correction at any time from anybody, regardless of how clueless they are. Okay. Uh, be willing to be detached, develop detachment from one's own conclusions and one's own ideas. So people ask you, well, what do you think? Well, this is what I think. If some guy disagrees with you, that's fine. You know, you can disagree. That's, you know, I'm not going to... Part of this is because we recognize that in certain areas, obviously there's going to be areas where you have to remain absolutely uh, adhered to the principles. Like when the principles are absolute, you just absolutely have to adhere to them, period, regardless of what somebody says. And if they try and correct you, it's not a matter of being stubborn and intellectually proud. It's a matter of being uh, having the uh, having that intellectual... Humility and submitting perfectly to these principles which apply everywhere in all cases, etc. So there's certain times you actually absolutely can't budge, but there's other times when you realize, you know, there's a certain degree in which I could be wrong or my precision might be a little bit off or maybe the language could be different so that it's a little bit more precise, etc. And so there has to be a detachment from that to some degree. Uh, you have to be willing to adhere to the truth regardless of the personal cost. The intellectually proud man is intractable. You can't get him to budge, you can't get him to change, and he's not principled in the end. He's only interested in showing himself to be right rather than actually being correct. But this means you have to be willing to uh, follow regardless of the personal cost. Because in the end, the only way you can get to heaven is by adhering to the truth. God is truth. And so this is all a pursuit, even on the side of our uh, appetitive faculties, it's all about conforming ourselves to the truth. Even our faculty, the appetitive faculties have to conform to what we know is the truth because ultimately everything has to conform to God. Everybody in heaven, all their faculties conform perfectly to God and God is truth. And so in the end, it has to be an absolute adherence to the truth, regardless of the personal cost. doesn't mean you always have to go around telling everybody all the truth you know. It just means that you yourself have to be willing to do it. You have to be able to sit in a conversation and not have your knowledge of the matter known. People may not know you know certain things about certain things. That's fine. right? Sometimes, too, there's a certain part of this is just basic humility is, is you have to be willing to look stupid from time to time. Uh, you have to develop an interest in what other people say as a source of possible knowledge. You know, if somebody else knows something more than I do, I just shut up and start listening because I'm obviously going to need to know more. Um, and I don't necessarily more. And even if that person doesn't think I know anything about it, I would rather him tell me what I already know and in, the po in that process actually learn something than for him to just presume I know something and then there's this gap in my knowledge and I don't know. So you're better off just, you know, if somebody knows more about it, you quite, I mean, you can throw in your little two bits here and there when you do know something, but it's better to let that other person, it's, in other words, the intellectual proud man is unwilling to allow someone else who is an authority on a matter to be the one to make the judgment about something or basically to make the statement about something. You have to admit your own ignorance and proclivity to error as a result of original actual sin. Reflect on the times when you're wrong. Because this will give you a lot of clarity about yourself, about your intellectual abilities, too. You know, I am prone to making some basic, very elementary basic errors. 
myself, right? And that's people have to work at that, recognizing that, um, and just recognize, you know, I'm just not good in this area. I'm not good in that area. Admit when you're wrong, openly. You know, just say, I stand corrected, right? And then, and ironically, it, once you kind of do get into the habit of doing that, it's actually easier uh, than, because um, you get this from time to time, is people have a predetermined conclusion because they've, in, because of their intellectual pride, they've judged something to be the case. So they have a predetermined conclusion. And so when you start discussing it, they're trying to find a reasoning process to get to that thing rather than having actually done the reasoning process to get to the right conclusion. And so you spend a lot of time fighting with them about the reasoning process because they're trying to force it into this predetermined conclusion rather than, look, let's just follow the truth wherever it leads. Okay. So the truly humble, intellectually humble man is the guy who doesn't matter what the person cost is, he's going to follow the truth. And his desire is to know the truth and he'll follow it regardless of where it leads. Which is one of the signs, again, that our culture is rife with intellectual pride because this is a very proud generation in the sense that they they want what they want and what they judge to be the case rather than being willing to follow the truth. Okay. Any questions? Fact. Yeah. Yeah. It's a spiritual pride when you have like I don't know there's certain people um, that I kind of observe actually that kind of they have this seal for their faith in a way, so they kind of want to get it out to people who have absolutely no idea yeah. what faith is, even though they're doing something, but they, I guess it's kind of charitable, or they want to be charitable. I don't know if it's charity or if it's their own spiritual pride by kind of thinking, you know what, I, I'm obligated to let these people know something because I'm... I'm yeah, it, I, how, how about we give some precision to what you just said? Right. <laughs> <laughs> It's called unmoderated zeal. And the moderation has to come from prudence, supernatural prudence specifically. And so that's what you're dealing with, is people who just want to get out there and tell everybody, okay, look, let's just let this... This is one of the reasons why, historically in the church, when you were a neophyte, that is when you were first um, brought into the church, you, uh, you couldn't enter the seminary for at least three to five years. Because they're like, no, you need to calm down and settle out first. Get some moderation in relationship to this stuff. The other thing is, too, is, is that, and this is something which I think the church needs to go back to, is that uh, lay people were forbidden to engage in philosophical or theological discourse unless they had gotten permission of their local bishop. And the reason for that was is precisely the same thing. A lot of these lay people are like, they want to defend the faith, they want to get out there, but it's unmoderated. And they end up saying things and doing things that are just, I mean, this whole business, like of Pope Francis and the things he's been doing, and then everybody's starting to weigh in for everyone from the state of Contest to, you know, the Pope, if the Pope is okay, you know, you, 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 people are weighing in and they just, it's, it's, they're barging in when they have absolutely no knowledge about what they're doing. And when you call them on the carpet about that, in the end, they just get miffed at the fact that, you know, they think that you're trying to block them from defending the truth. No, what I'm trying to do is keeping you from looking like an idiot. You know, just back off, actually study this. To actually study the question about whether you can depose a pope is such an extensive study. I have yet to meet anybody who's actually got it under their belt sufficiently enough for me to even listen to them very much. I'm just doing it my research now on it. 
I mean, I have my own views of it, and there's certain things that I know for certain about. There's certain principles that are absolutes, so we know that, and there's certain things that are... But this business, uh, and but to actually know what all the saints say, usually they'll read one guy, and then, you know, as they say, beware of the guy of one book, right? They've, they've, he's read one book, and so he goes around teaching as if he knows everything about it, and when they don't. So, yeah. Um, when the situation with France is really... I guess it sets you up for falling in a trap of pride. Yeah. I'm just trying to think. I mean, when you take a situation like the Chinese thing, you know, that's right. Doesn't look too good, you know. And then, then right. you're saying, but then you, you're tempted to say, well, this guy, there's something wrong with this guy. You make all kind of judgments about it. And then, you know, I mean, you know, it's such a temptation to yeah. um, for people to. Do exactly what you're saying. Everyone's coming out from the right. So I guess how do you? Um, you know, I mean, all these subjects take a lot of research. Obviously. They do, yeah. I mean, so I mean, how do you how do you look at this? I mean, well, think of, <laughs> yeah. Here's here's the thing. You don't fall into it. Well, the way to not fall into it is is how you relate to the thing. Okay. One, the one thing we learn from the Old Testament is you get the leaders you deserve. That's what we learned from the Jews, right? When they were good, they got good leaders. When they were bad, they ended up with bad leaders. So we, that's the, that's the general principle. So if, if we see the Holy Father doing things that we, that we, we estimate are damaging the church, our first judgment should be, what kind of people are we that God would send us this kind of a man for a pope? Okay. That's good. I mean, so what most, I mean, pe- yeah, mo- most people aren't willing to admit is we've been living with cafeteria Catholicism for 125 years. And that this, it's just kind of came to fruition after the Second Vatican Council. We've got people, I mean, here we've got the pope talking about, well, maybe, you know, contraception is not an absolute. Really, that's just the leader we deserve because most lay people, 95% of the lay people in this, in this country, married couples, either have or are currently using contraception. So why would we think we would get anybody different? Okay, so God's really giving you... So th- what he is, wow. is he's a reflection of us. That's what that means. If you get the leaders you deserve, he's a reflection of us. And so this is what people need to realize. If we want a better leader, our first thing we have to do is humiliate ourselves and recognize this is, you know, the reason we got this guy is because of the fact that we aren't being holy and we're not doing what we're supposed to do. And I think that's the, that's the, in other words, when we see this, our first reaction should really be humiliation, not, you know, getting on our high horse. Any other questions? Yeah. Seems like some people are having a kind of disposition where if they're told something by somebody like yourself who's very knowledgeable, they come back and disagree. It's more like their mannerisms is that that's how they see the truth. They disagree and nothing to say something more. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a difference. There's what a, is their defect? Okay, there's a difference between entering into a dialogue where you want to ask questions to gain clarity 
That's perfectly legitimate. And having lectured a lot, you can tell when somebody's trying to gain clarity and when someone's just trying to get to you. Yeah. And so, whereas if they just want to argue and they just want to get, you know, say, oh, I'm just trying to get to the truth. No, you just want to argue. Whereas most people who are trying to seek the truth, they'll ask basic questions, you know, um, or, if they, or if, they, if they realize they're the only one who's got muddled thinking and nobody else seems to, they'll come up to you and talk to you later. So um, the vice there is, um, uh, it's a sin against charity, it's called contention. Or quarreling sometimes, somehow you'll see it translated. They just like to quarrel. They just like to fight with you, other people. Right? And so they're really more interested in the debate than the truth. You see that flaw a lot in science, too, whereas in the past, the goal of science was to seek the truth right. in, in the physical world. And now it's, it's, it's not that. It's, it's an agenda. And then you, you modify the science to fit right. the agenda. That's correct. Which actually tells you something. Your, your philosophical outlook is going to end up determining how you proceed in the science. Really. You know, if your philosophical outlook is, I just want to know what the truth is and what reality is. Whereas if your philosophical outlook is, I'm the center of the universe, <laughs> it's going to be a whole different thing. You see that, you see that in uh, you know, judicial philosophy. You see that yeah. just in, in, in not, not only in, in the science fields, but in, in law. And it's across the board, yeah. Yeah, it's in every science. So, what did you say, Father? Was envy? Envy is. Um, St. Thomas defines it as the desire to obtain a good that someone else has to their loss of it. What is the, the desire to obtain something that someone has? Without necessarily their loss of it, and I'm not talking about like covetousness or, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, they used to just consider that zeal. In other words, that's a, there's a right order in that. If you see someone has a perfection, you should want to attain that, but not to their loss of it. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then jealousy, I have a perfection, but I don't want them to have it. Yeah, yeah. So the jealous husband, right? He doesn't want anyone to have any contact with his wife. Whereas most people, when they, when you, when they have envy, they're real, they'll use the word jealousy because our people are very imprecise in their in English language, mm -hmm. at least in the Americas. Okay. If you'll kneel, I'll give you a blessing. Benedicta Domnipotentis Patris et Filii et Spiritus et Supervos et Maniat Semper. Amen.